Well, we're in Deuteronomy chapter 6. You can go ahead and find your place there. Um, We're going to be talking this morning about creating an environment for spiritual formation. And uh, the principles that we're going to talk about here in Deuteronomy 6 are really um, applicable to pretty much any situation. So if you're a parent, they're very applicable there. Um, If it's just you and your uh, spouse at home, they're very applicable in the home there. And they're also applicable to your personal life. Every single one of these principles um, applies to your life for the purpose of discipleship and spiritual growth is really what we're talking about. And so Deuteronomy 6 really gives us um, an incredible picture um, of, of what it looks like to cre- create an environment in this context, Deuteronomy 6, of the home uh, for spiritual formation in, uh, of the family. Um, in particular, here in Deuteronomy 6, children. We, we read um, last week Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5, that says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is filled with them, and he shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. So that arrows in the hand of a warrior, that uh, well-prepared kids launched into the world, and as we said last week, Deuteronomy 6 shows us how to get there, but these principles are applicable really to all of life when it comes to discipleship. And so Last week, we talked about the target and the goal um, that God wants each of us to know God and to love God. So we, we want that for ourselves. We want that for our spouse. We want that for our children. We want that for our friends and our neighbors that we're sharing Christ with, uh, for them to know God and to love the one true God. And, and this week, we're going to be talking more about the process. We're going to be talking about the environment in which that process can best flourish in. You know, we talked uh, last week about um, we can't uh, make decisions for people, right? So if you're a parent, we don't We can't guarantee how our children are going to turn out. You can't guarantee the decisions your spouse is going to make. You can't, the person that you're sharing your faith with or sharing your testimony with at work or your neighbor across the street or that family member that you're praying for, you can't guarantee uh, that they'll trust Christ. What we can do is is we can create environments uh, that make spiritual formation, spiritual growth, all these sort of things uh, more likely um, in the sense of, we can, we can apply certain principles um, where, where people are confronted with God's Word and with the power of God's Spirit. And that's really what we're trying to do. That's what we're supposed to do. Um, as the church, as believers, as husbands and wives, moms and dads, all those sort of things, um, we, we are called to do this, right? Because, and listen, environments matter. They, they're very critical. I remember some years ago reading, and I, I don't know if it was, I think it was McDonald's, but maybe it was multiple restaurants. They had done this poll and they had realized why a lot of these fast food restaurants use these bright colors in their restaurants. And bright red and bright yellow. and Because they, they, had, they had done studies and they had found people didn't tend to hang around in those kind of environments. And so they would eat and they would leave, which is exactly what they want because it's Fast food, right? And so part of fast food experience is that you get out of there fast so the next crew can come in. So it was purposely not creating a super hangout kind of environment because they knew environments matter. Think about it kind of like this. Um, Is there a place that you like to go or that you can imagine that helps you to de-stress, to have less anxiety? Some people say it's the mountains. Some people say it's the beach. If you've got an environment like that, if you can think of a place right now, it just helps me if I go there. I, can, I, can, I, can, I just focus better. I, I, the stress level goes away. Anybody like that? You've got an environment. Like, it might even be a place in your home. I mean, whatever it may be. You know why that is? Environments matter. They absolutely matter. And it, 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 they absolutely affect everything. So think about it kind of like a greenhouse, 
all right? In, in a greenhouse, you have a particular environment that is created in order to help plants grow and flourish. Everything is controlled in a certain way from the moisture level uh, to the temperature, amount, you know, all the amount of water they're getting, all this sort of stuff is being controlled in such a way to create the perfect environment for growth. And that's really what we want to do with our homes. That's what we want to do with the local church is we want to create an environment for people to grow and to flourish spiritually. We can't guarantee anything, but we can help create these environments. And the home should be a place where the Word of God fills it, the truth of God informs everything. It should be a place of training and discipleship, a, a God-centered, gospel-saturated place. We know the church should be that, but our homes should be that. And really, as a believer, everywhere we go, we should kind of bring an element of that to that as we live out our, uh, live out our, our life. And so these principles that we're going to go over as we dig into Deuteronomy 6 this morning, like I said, application in parenting, application for your personal spiritual life. So look with me at Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. We read this last week. Let's read it again today. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, that's all capital letters, Yahweh, the Lord, Yahweh our God, the Lord, Yahweh, is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. All right, so we're going to really focus on verses 7, 8, 9 this morning, and this is some of the best parenting counsel in all the Scriptures, um, and I'm certainly no parenting expert. I'm on the journey and trying to figure things out, but God's Word has a, just a rich storehouse for us to pull from, but it's also good just for our personal life because the, these people, they weren't just doing it for their kids. It was for their personal life as well as they were growing spiritually and as they were taking God's Word and sort of allowing it to wash over their life, it was going to do their whole home their family, and their whole household. And so the point here is creating an environment most conducive to that life change so where the Word of God ultimately takes root in the heart. Because he tells us there in verse 6, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And then he begins to lay out for us in an environment where that is more likely to take place, even though we know only God ultimately can change a heart, right? And so, but we want to help create that environment. But spiritual formation, spiritual growth, Spiritual process takes time. Takes time. If you've been a Christian very long today, you've discovered, hopefully, you're more mature in Christ today than you were when you came to faith, right? Um, I mean, most of us probably have regrets um, in our past and maybe even regrets in our present, but especially at certain points in time in our life where we think, man, I was such a foolish Christian or I was an arrogant Christian or I was an immature Christian. When you look back on and you, to, and you go, you know what? I'm still not there. I'm still growing. I'm still maturing, but I'm not today who I were, was then because it's a process. And it's the same in the home and with children and things of that nature. Spiritual formation takes time. Um, Paul David Tripp has a great book called Parenting, 14 Gospel Principles That Can Radically Change Your Family. And here is a quote from that book. He says, you must be committed as a parent to long view parenting because change is a process and not an event. And that's true just in the Christian life in general. That's true for your own life, right? It's a process. Not an event. Change is a process, not an event. And then he, tells, he gives three mentalities that every parent needs to have. He says every parent needs to have a process mentality, right? Because it's a process, not an event. You need to see parenting as one unending conversation. Because 
It is, and sometimes you repeat yourselves unendingly. And, uh, and thirdly, you need to parent with a project mentality, right? We're all unfinished projects. Um, if you're a parent, your kids are going to leave your home as an unfinished project, not as some perfect thing, right, or some perfect person. You're not perfect. They're not going to be perfect. And we're all incomplete projects. And so, and there's a, so like I said, even those principles apply to our personal spiritual lives as much as they do to our parenting process. And so here are four principles with these things in mind, all right, is, uh, about this idea of process mentality. Here are four principles for creating the right environment for spiritual formation and uh, that I can see right here in this text, all right? The first one is, number one, be intentional about spiritual formation. Got to be intentional. Be intentional. Verse seven, you shall teach them diligently to your children, right? You can't teach anything diligently without intentionality, Just can't do it. Investing and shaping and discipling and teaching and training and for parents, disciplining, none of those things happen without intentional effort. Uh, Listen to what Eugene Merrill describes, how he describes the Hebrew word picture being painted here in Deuteronomy 6 with this phrase, teach them diligently, that we have in our language. He says, quote, the image being painted here is that of the engraver of a monument who takes a hammer and a chisel in his hand and with painstaking care etches a text in the face of a solid slab of granite. It's the idea of that permanently impressing and chiseling the truth of God onto our lives. Uh, the word can mean to repeat. It can mean to, uh, to sharpen, right? That's where we get that imagery of, of the chiseling on granite. It's this idea of chiseling over and over and over, intentionally laying the truth of God in front of our lives, in front of the lives of other people, in front of the lives of our children, to see that begin to take place, to be impressed upon their life. And that's the goal with disciple making in general, to see truth imprinted on a life, life. to see the truth of God's word imprinted on a life. Because as that happens, we'll look more like Christ. And there's no mentoring, no discipling, no relationship where you have that opportunity like that of, of parenting, as the parents in the room obviously know. So imagine with me for a moment an artist who's got this large piece of granite, and he's going to work on that piece of granite. And so he's going to turn it into this incredible work of art. And so he gets up, man, and he goes to work with his chisel and his hammer. And he works all he can that day. But this is going to be a long process, right? He lays it down. He gets up the next day. He goes to work on it. He gets up the next day. He goes to work. some point, hands start hurting, right? Feels like he's doing the same thing every day. And at some point, he's got to make an intentional decision, a disciplined decision to continue with the process, understanding that this is a long process. And that's kind of the picture we have here. It requires discipline and intentionality, not simply good wishes, to truly be involved in the spiritual formation of another person or even our own spiritual growth. We've got to choose to pick up the tools every day and go to work, and to go to work. Listen, we plan for a lot of things, right? We plan for retirement. We plan our vacations. We plan our time off. We plan all these, we plan a lot of things. Do we plan for spiritual formation? For our, first of all, for ourselves. Do we plan? Here's how I'm going to grow spiritually in my life. Here's the plan that I'm going to institute so that I can become more like Christ as a Christ follower or as a parent. Here's the plan for spiritually forming my children and creating an environment in my home. We got to be intentional. He says, you shall do this, right? It's intentionality. Not letting life happen to us, not letting parenting happen to us, but happening to it, right? Being intentional. People do not become great on accident. We know that. 
Nobody is successful because they got all the breaks, right? That's what people who aren't intentional and aren't disciplined say about people who are. Well, they just got all the breaks. No, they worked, man. That's how they got there. That's how life works as a general. There's, sometimes you get bad breaks. We live in a fallen world, but there are general principles that apply that we have to go with intentionality, do some things. People don't become godly on accident. They don't grow spiritually on accident, right? They, they get into the Word and they pray, and you don't accidentally you know, put sin out of your life. You intentionally look at your weak spots in your life and you go after those things, right? We have to put in the work. And it's the same way with parenting, by the way. That conversation and that family devotion and that hard talk, it does not just happen. You have to choose to be diligent, to impress upon the lives of others that you have influence on the truth of God's Word. So be intentional with spiritual formation. Number two, be relational with your teaching. He says, talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. Talk, speak, notice how natural the flow of it sounds. It's a very natural sounding thing, right? Talk of them when you're sitting down and when you're getting up and when you're over here and when you're over there. Just talk about it, right? The flow of life, natural, and the context is very clear. It's in the context of just of a relationship. It's just assumed that you're going to be, right? Because with here, it's, it, it, the context is parents with kids, so it's just kind of assumed you're living life together, right? You've got a relationship with them, and in the context of that relationship, truth needs to be impressed upon them. And you can't have this sort of meaningful teaching happen apart from relationship, right? A lot of parents do not have a good relationship with their kids, for instance. And if you, and if you have young children, like I do, and a few of us in the room do, if you have young children, um, you're, we lay the groundwork now for the relationship we're going to have later. I mean, I can talk to people plenty of times in my life of work that the relationship with their parents are not good now, and it started when they were eight. Right? It started when they were seven. It started when they were nine. Because we're laying the foundation many times. Right? We are all the time. We're laying the foundation now. And obviously, by God's grace, a lot of things can change and a lot of things can happen. But what happens, the relationship now matters. And it's the same way in all discipleship relationships. It's, God has designed spiritual growth to happen in the context of relationship. And relationships matter big time. As Tripp writes in his book, parenting is an unending conversation. Truly teaching your kids these things needs to be a conversation, right? Not a monologue. Talk about them as you go. And they, it's, it's a give and take. It's a conversation. Think about how Jesus did discipleship for a second. We're going to read a couple of passages from the New Testament. I want us to see the context of how Jesus chose to lead people to follow him. Uh, it was life on life. Listen to John 1. I'm going to read verses 35 through 39. Uh, the next day... John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he talked, as he walked by, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. Well, this is John the Baptist talking. He sees Jesus walking by. He's hanging out with some disciples, and he says, Look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. So they're like, See you, John. Uh, Verse 38, Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. That was, this gives you a picture of how Jesus went about discipleship. Come on. 
Come and you'll see. Come hang out with me. And these guys are going to spend the rest, the next three years, the rest of Jesus' life on earth following Jesus around, right? Look at uh, Matthew 4, 18 and 19. says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he, Jesus, said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And we know that idea of following me paints a picture of, of what discipleship is, right? It's trusting and following and obeying Jesus, but patterning our life after him. But in the context of, of their day, it meant literally drop the net and come on. Come follow me. Watch me. Hang out with me. Spend time with me. Jesus invited people into his life, and he taught them on the go. That's how he discipled these men that changed the world. And they failed, and they struggled. They said stupid stuff. They messed up all the time, and Jesus was patient with them. You look at, if you read the Gospels, you'll see Jesus discipling people over meals. I mean, I mean, you could do a whole sermon series on the meals of Jesus and how Jesus used meals to engage the lost and how Jesus used meals to disciple people and mentor people. He told parables and then and when he would teach, and then he would go in private, and he would take his disciples, and he would say, now here's what I meant by that, right? And have private instruction with them. He, he, ministry opportunities. He would take them into opportunities, and they would just completely bumble and fumble around, and he would teach them in those opportunities. I, I think about Jesus going to the Mount of Transfiguration with three of his disciples and leaving the others, the other nine guys are left behind. He goes up on the mountain and they see him in all his glory. When he comes back, the nine guys who have been left behind, they're down there trying to cast a demon out of somebody and it's whipping them and they can't figure out what's going on and they're just making a mess out of the situation and Jesus walks in and he goes, listen, it's, you know, you got to pray and you got to fast. You got, and he has, it's a teaching moment, right? And they thrust into kind of an opportunity and they teach him. And so Jesus discipled people on the go. He used meals and ministry opportunities and time together and just hanging out to help spiritually form people. It was in the context of a relationship with him. And that's how all discipleship works. That's how parenting works. I've come to realize, and I know the older parents in the room can affirm, some of the best talks about God and morality with your kids happen in the daily grind, not during the family devotional time. Family devotional time at my house is, resembles WWE as much as it does a church service, all right? It's, it's, you know, it's also the time of the most intense discipline that sometimes happens, you know. So it's sit down, stop talking, quit running around. No, you don't need water right now. You can go to the bathroom. You know, it's, it's like it's, it's, it's crazy time, right? But then there's this the daily grind of the conversations that come up when you're not expecting it and you're driving down the road and something comes out and now all of a sudden, man, you're in the middle of a truth talk that you weren't expecting. And that, that's just discipleship in general happens that way. My personal life of spiritual growth and spiritual formation, I think about the, uh, the student pastor uh, that when I was a teenager impacted me the most and, and discipled me the most and all those sort of things. I don't remember the sermons. I remember a conversation in the car with them. I remember meals at a restaurant where three or four of us were hanging out and asking questions. Life on life discipleship, those are the things that, that, that made an impact, and it's true in parenting, and it's true in the people you're trying to disciple and impact and all those sort of stuff. Um, it, it happens in the context of relationship, the flow of life. Number three, be immersive with God and his word. Be immersive with God and his word. Talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. Notice how the summary of this that he's given here. All places all times. When you sit and when you walk by the way, it is a brief way of saying everywhere. 
all places. But when you lie down and when you get up is a way of saying 24 hours a day, I mean, all the time. There is no time, there is no place that should not be immersed in God and his word. There is never a time or place that is not a time or place to bring the truth of God to bear on your life, your kid's life, or someone you're, someone you're discipling's life. This is why you need the strong relationships, the truth of God, uh, must, uh, strong relationships where the truth of God uh, can be shared because it needs to be able to happen within any moment because you don't know when the teachable moment's gonna come and the truth got, is, needs to be unavoidable in our lives and in our homes and in these relationships. See, the, the big idea here in, 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 this, in this passage is, is the rhythm and routine of life. It's to immerse the rhythm of life and the routine of life to just immerse it in the truth of God and his word. I mean, where it's just, it saturates everything. Uh, that there's just no area that, 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 that God is not brought into, that his word does not speak to. There's no decision that is not made like, man, this matters to God. Uh, it's that God consciousness we, we spoke about last week. And so, yeah, by all means, how the Family Devotional World Wrestling Federation um, time, we do it. Do it as often as possible. We're not going to bat a 1,000 on it. We don't. Um, I know that. But we aim for a pattern, right? But also bring God's truth to bear, the gospel to bear in the routine of life. And sometimes it's something as simple as, and from a parenting perspective, it's, it's, it's praying on the way to school, right? That's a, that's a pattern that I have with, with my kids. And so driving to school, got Cannon and Eden in the back seat, it, about the, pretty much the same spot in the road every day. We're going to pray, right? We're going to pray for their day. It's just a routine of life. It's just on the way to school. Um, it's, it's, it's pausing before disciplining a child to explain to them why they are being disciplined. It's giving them the why behind all the stuff that's going on. It's letting them see that God's word is being brought to bear on your life, not just their life. You know, sometimes if you're in, whether it's a parenting relationship or a discipleship relationship, sometimes you have to apologize. Sometimes you have to confess sin. Sometimes you have to say, I'm sorry. Listen, if we've never had to apologize or repent to our kids, we probably aren't living very transparently in front of them. You, you don't sin in front of anybody as much as you do your spouse and your children. I promise. They see you the most. They're around you the most. And most of your sin happens in front of them. That's for me. And so if they're going to see us sin the most, they sure well better hear us repent the most. The rhythm and the routines of life. And what you don't see here is Christianity simply being a Sunday thing, right? It's just a weekly event. If you get nothing else out of the text, you can get that. The local church, yes, is critical to spiritual formation of you, of you and of your family. But at the same time, the local church gathering cannot be all there is to discipleship in your life or in the lives of your children. It, it's got to be immersive to all of life. Think about, your, think about physical health. Think someone who says, you know what, you know, I... Every now and then I go on these seasons of a, of a diet and exercise, and man, and, you, know, and, and, you know, for that month, uh, you know, I, I, I eat really well, I, I, man, I'm disciplined, and I go to the gym, and, all, and, and they have these kind of like sporadic seasons, right? And it's like this um, revolving door of Weight Watchers and Atkins and Whole30 and, what, and what's the new thing? What's the thing this month? You know, they're on their third diet of the year kind of thing, and it's, and, but then they're back into the cycle of unhealthy living, right? And then take the person 
who just as a lifestyle has embraced a healthier lifestyle. They're going to be active. They're just, they're just not, you know, they're just, they're just going to eat generally healthy. Who's going to be the healthier person at the end of the day? The person who's kind of event-based or the person who's lifestyle-based? The lifestyle-based person is going to be healthier, right? The person who just says, as a lifestyle, I'm going to live a certain way. And it's the same way spiritually. If we're just kind of event-based and it's kind of like it's all just about church on Sunday and that's kind of it, and the rest of our lives, we just kind of do what we want to do. Well, well, you're the person that's just hopping from diet to diet, right? Yes, we need the church. That, that's critical. There is no such thing as healthy spirituality apart from the local church. Christians who are not connected to the local church are, by definition, not spiritually healthy. You cannot effectively live the Christian life apart from the local church, okay? But at the same time, Local church as a gathering, corporate gathering, is not enough. We need to daily and weekly immerse ourselves in God's truth and bring God's word to bear on our lives. So we can all ask ourselves right now, is my spiritual growth a priority throughout the week? Am I bringing God and his word to bear on my life in all times and all places? Am I doing that in my home? Am I doing that with my children? Am I doing that in discipleship relationships? We need God's word when we sit, when we walk by the way, when we go to bed, when we get up, all right? So, so number three was be immersive with God and his word. Number four is be obvious with the truth of, with the truth and who you are. Be obvious with the truth of God and who you are. Let me explain. Look at verse eight and nine. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, so your forehead. Verse 9, you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So at first, it seems like it's very much about reminding yourself, right? When you look at that, it's kind of like, you know, on your hand, on your forehead, on your home. But then it's on the city gate. That doesn't seem as much about you as it does about letting everybody else know where you stand, right? So it's this picture of just being obvious with the truth of God and the truth of who you are as a follower of Christ for us. Riding it on the doorpost, riding it on the city gate. Many of the Jews would literally do this after this. Uh, by the time Jesus came along, it, that was kind of a common thing, and to, to literally write the word on their hand and put these little boxes and time around their heads. And, 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 and But... It's about the heart. Remember, that was verse 6, that it's to be impressed upon our, our heart, not about necessarily literally needing to do these things. It's a picture that's being painted here of being obvious with the truth of God. And it's about embracing your identity as God's people in a visible, unmistakable, everyone can know it and see it kind of way. It's about clarity, about your identity and who you are and where you stand. We are God's people. We are Bible people. We believe this. We bring it into every situation. There is no situation where we do not carry God's word and God's truth and my identity and who I am as his follower into. It's brought into every situation. We live this way openly before all. We want everyone to know where we stand. We're not secret Christians, so to speak. So, not only should God's truth and the word of God and the gospel be invoked at all places and all times of the day as we just spoke about, but it should also be stapled over every situation in life. It should mark your identity in a very public way. I, when I think about this, when I think about, you know, uh, sometimes I think there's a fear that Christians have to live this way. And I, I, think, and I, I think about the way Christians sometimes get portrayed 
um, on TV and in movies and in media. And the first thing that comes to mind, which it's in an unfavorable way many times, kind of a goofy sort of um, fanatical, weirdo sort of way. And I think of the show The Simpsons, which was, um, you know, I, I don't even know if it's still on TV. But, it, I mean, it, it, since I was in like fifth grade, the show was on, on TV. It's been around forever. And there was this one, the one Christian character on the show. Ned Flanders, right? The Flanders family. And he was this cheesy, goofy, kind of weird guy. And they kind of, you know, they kind of portrayed the Christian kind of in that way, this kind of cornball, kind of like over-the-top sort of, sort of dude. And I think every Christian that grew up, at least in, in my generation, kind of has this I don't want to be Ned Flanders kind of thing. And maybe for you it's something else. But, but this idea of I, I don't want to come across like a, like a fanatic, I don't want to come across weird. But the truth is, you, we can live out our faith in a very public way and it not be in a very awkward way. There's a difference in being bold and, 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 being, and even the culture looking at you like you're a little bit strange and being awkward, okay? And so, uh, so there, there, there's a difference in those, in those things. We can, we can affect that by the way we live. But the point is we are to live out our faith in a very bold way, in a very obvious way, because to the world, we're always going to be a little bit strange. We don't have to be awkward. That's on us if we're awkward, socially awkward. But it's, we can't help it that we're going to look strange to the world because some of the things we do are very different than the world. And we, we, we live in a world that is, and in a culture right now that is, straying farther and farther and farther from any resemblance from Judeo-Christian values. It's getting more, so you know what? You're going to look weirder and weirder and stranger and stranger, and your kids and your grandkids are going to look even stranger to this Western world that they're living in uh, than the gener- maybe even maybe than your generation did. It's just, it's just the way it is. Culture's going this way, and God's Word is staying like right here, right? It ain't moving. And the, the call on our life, how we live the Christian life, and our values, like they, they, they don't move, right? They're, they're, they're fixated on, from this book. But culture is adrift. It's not, it's not tied to anything right now. So we're going to look strange. We're going to look weird. We don't have to be awkward. We don't have to be fanatical in the, in the negative sense of the word. But we do have to be biblical. And we do have to be centered on God's word and on God's truth. And, and we need to be upfront about who we are. Uh, up front about our values, not, not ashamed to talk about it. I mean, we live in a goofy world. I mean, we, we, we live in a world where people are absolutely terrified to talk about gender in a way that is in any way coherent. And we're just saying crazy stuff. And we're just rubber stamping just absolute absurdity sometimes. And Christians are just terrified to even talk about it. And it's kind of like, guys, science is with us on this one. Uh, it's, it's, it's with us in general. You get my point? It's like we've got to, in love, speak the truth about some of these. Culture's doing this. We've got to stay here. And like we said a few weeks ago when we were in Romans, people are pulling up all the signs, the yield signs and the stop signs and all these things. Calamity's going to come. We've got to be the people that say, hey, that sign needed to be there. There's still some things that are right and wrong and good that we need to hold to. And here's the thing. It's really important that we be very upfront and obvious about who we are and what we believe about God's truth, particularly in a home where children are being reared in, because children largely get their sense of identity from their home. I mean, that, that's home base. I mean, that's, that's, we are shaping how they see themselves. We are shaping how they see the world. We are shaping how they see life. 
And here the law was being used in a way that everyone in the family could see that this is what is going to shape us. In fact, the whole community of faith and the surrounding nations that came by could see we are God's people. We believe God's truth. This is where we stand. It was no secrecy to it. And our lives and our homes need to be unmistakably Christ-centered, unmistakably grounded on the truth. People, including our children, need to see us as Christ followers all the time because simply that's who we are. And there, there, there is a, for a child, there is a sense of security that comes from that. It's weird for a kid to grow up in a home where they're brought to church and taught certain values are important and to not see their parents either live it out in their life, where none of us are perfect, but the, the, as a pattern to live that out in their life, or to see them kind of act a different way when certain friends are around or certain places and, and to not actually talk about that stuff. That's weird to a kid. It's duplicitous to a child. We ground them in their identity of who we are. Practical ways we do this, church is the norm, not the exception. One of the most radically countercultural things that you can do as a Christian in 2019 in the United States of America is get out of bed and go to church on Sunday morning. Talking to the choir, right? You're here. That's like step one. I mean, I'm serious. I mean, it's a growing number of those who profess to be evangelical Christians who don't even go to church. Right? And so one of the most countercultural things you can do is go to church on the Lord's Day and worship God and be a part of a community of faith. I mean, that's just like that's just ground zero. That's point one. That's where we begin all this. Should be the exception that we miss being with God's people. Rare, not the norm. Pray over every meal, even the ones you eat in public. And there are times that we break this rule, but it's who we are. It's what we do. So it doesn't matter if we're sitting around our family dinner table or if we're at Arby's. We're going to pray over the meal. Not to be seen by people, it's because this, this is who we are, right? This, this is the sign written on our doorpost. This is what we do. We thank God. Encourage your child to live out God's truth at school and at the ball field and all these other places. Encourage them to be public with their faith. And then show them by being public with yours. All those things are important. Children need to know this is who we are. It's who we want to be. You are being raised in a Christian family that believes the Bible. We want you to come to know Christ, and we want you to obey Christ's word. We want these things for you, so we do these things for you, and we model these things for you. This is who we are. This is how we're different than this person. This is, and that's okay. We love them. We want, got to have those conversations. Got to live openly and obvious about who we are. And what we see here when you put all these things together is an environment that is more conducive for spiritual formation for anyone. An environment where you can point to children and toward the truth and model it for them and, and pray that God's word will change their heart or their life or your spouse's. And this requires being intentional and relational and immersive and, and obvious in what we believe and teach. And these principles, like I said, they work for our personal lives as well. Our, our spiritual journeys and our spiritual formation for every single person in this room requires intentionality. Every single person in this room, we have to intentionally make some choices if we're going to grow and mature spiritually. If you want to not be where you are today spiritually and be in a better place next year, you need to make some choices this year and going into next year about how you're going to live your life and the routines that are going to be in your life. It's intentionality. We need godly relationships. We need to talk about God's word with other people. Say, I'm not a parent or my kids have left the house. Listen, part of spiritual growth is talking about the Word of God. Not just reading it, but having people, your spouse or somebody else, a friend, a neighbor, people at church, people that your small group, whatever, people that you can talk about the Bible with. 
Life on life. That's, it it's the, helps create the environment for spiritual growth. We need to be immersed in God's word to the point that it is brought to bear at all times in all places, right? It, it just needs to be unavoidable in our lives. We're as immersed in it. We need to be obvious about who we are. Be upfront about that. Not, not in a weird way, in, a, in, in just a, it's normal, like in, in a non-duplicity and in integrity. Who we are as God's people should be brought to bear on every situation and lived openly before all. And here's what we know. When we think about all these things, we think about spiritual growth, and we think about taking the word of God and impressing it and imprinting it upon our lives and on our hearts, there has literally only been one person that's ever walked the earth that has perfectly done this, that has perfectly followed God's word. There's only been one person to bring it to bear in every situation, to live life with perfect integrity. There's only been one person who went to bed and woke up thinking about obeying the Father in every way. Only one. There's only been one who is perfectly diligent in every way to teach God's word to those under his care and to do it with perfect integrity, and his name is Jesus. Only Jesus invests and disciples and shapes perfectly, right? And as we have seen, he invites us to follow him. And as we follow him, as we turn away from our sin and embrace Christ, believing he died for all of our shortcomings and the fact that the God's word isn't perfectly written on our hearts and, 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 and we, we embrace what he did for us in his death, burial, and resurrection and we put our faith in him and we follow him, he begins to transform us. And as he says, he'll even make us fishers of men. This is the natural byproduct of following Jesus is leading others in that same regard, pointing others to Jesus. And it starts in the home. So let me ask you this morning, are you a Christ follower? Have you put your faith in Christ, the only one who has perfectly lived according to God's word and perfectly impressed it upon his own life and lived in a such a way and then died in such a way to save you and me from all of our shortcomings in these areas? And as a Christ follower, how can you personally Create a better environment in your own life, number one, for spiritual growth and formation. And then if you're a parent, how can you better do that in your home? Hey, it's just you and your spouse. How can you better do that with the two of you? How can you better make your home a, an environment for spiritual formation and growth in Christ's likeness? Let's pray.